The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who have had a significant impact on society and on the way we live and work now. Today, my guest is an unusual one for me. It's my friend and boss, Ryan Roslansky, LinkedIn's CEO. I've known Ryan for a very long time. He's a great guy, funny, kind, smart, but I wanted to have him on the show, not to show the world what Ryan is like, but because he has really great ideas about how the world is changing and how to make that change happen. It's been fascinating for me to witness. A few years ago, when Ryan was LinkedIn's head of product, he started picking up on signals that skills were gonna change the way we got hired, the way we were promoted and the way we promoted other people, and how we got educated. And then he made sure LinkedIn didn't just skate to where the puck was, to use the old Wayne Gretzky saying, he built the stick to get it there. Ryan's own career path is non-linear, highlighted by adventures and leaps. The latest adventure, though, was in his own doing. He was named CEO just as the coronavirus started sweeping the planet. All of a sudden, he was running a different company in a different world. Here's our conversation. I never really expected to start my first year as the CEO of LinkedIn, navigating a global pandemic from my bedroom on Teams calls with my three kids doing school in the rooms around me. It was definitely difficult, but you know, it was difficult for everyone across the world this past year. And you can't only choose to be a leader when the sun is shining. Uh, I feel like I was lucky to have a very steep learning curve across the last year, but more than anything, I feel fortunate that as a company, as a platform, that we were really able to help the professionals of the world navigate through the last year by connecting them with jobs and helping them learn skills, giving them access to insightful real-time news and information. And a lot of that's really started to pay off. Just a few minutes ago, we announced our last quarterly earnings, where for the first time in the company's history, we've surpassed the $10 billion in annual revenue. And for our company, we drive value to the company only when our members and customers are getting value, only when people are getting jobs, only when they're learning skills. Uh, so it's been a, a pretty intense first year, but it's also been a very rewarding one in terms of what we've been able to do for our members across LinkedIn. I want to spend more time on that question of skills and how you are serving the professional world. But you mentioned something that I thought was unusual, which is you said you were lucky to have a very steep learning curve. What, what do you mean by that? You know, I think that in a role like this, there are always unique challenges to face, difficult things that pop up every day, difficult situations. And you only learn to become a CEO by being a CEO. And it's something that I learned, you know, my first couple of, of weeks, obviously, in the job, which is that all the preparation that you thought you had beforehand, all the big jobs you thought you had beforehand, they don't necessarily prepare you to, to sit in this chair and to lead a company forward. But the more you can get experience with the hard things, the more you can learn about navigating difficult situations, the more you can learn about yourself and how you react to situations, you know, the more you learn, the better you get at it. So being kind of thrown into a situation where on day one, it's like, hey, how do we help the company work remotely? Day two, it's like, hey, the entire world has stopped hiring because of COVID. There's a lot of uncertainty. And a lot of our business is obviously based on hiring. So how do we help the company navigate through it when we're starting to see companies pull back their spend with LinkedIn? 
you just really force yourself to learn what's important, to learn how to navigate situations and learn what, you know, it takes to kind of navigate a company forward through this situation or anything that we're going to face in the future. So is it a, a question of becoming CEO and, and trying to find the signal in the noise or is it more like all of this information is coming and you've just got to have answers for everything. What is the thing that's been most surprising to you in what you thought being a CEO was going to be like versus what it's actually been like? I don't think what I realized coming into it was the amount of stakeholders and constituents that exist in a role like this. And not only are employees, members, customers, the obvious ones, but, you know, a board of directors, the government, every government. And the job is all about keeping all of those constituents constantly in balance with each other towards the goal of realizing the vision of the company. And for me, it comes down to leadership is really comprised of three things that, that have been really important. Number one is really awareness, awareness of yourself, awareness of your company, awareness of what's going on around you. Always being looking for what's happening around you, always being aware of what's important, but taking it all in. And in a role like this, that, that comes with a flood of information constantly. So number two, the thing that's really important is, to your point, really understanding the signal from the noise. What are the key things that are critical that I should be paying attention to? Where, where are we hearing insights and information that over time uh, are typically ones that show a strong signal? And then the last thing is to find the conviction to inspire the team around you. Ultimately, leadership is about uh, getting people to follow you. And you get followers by people who are inspired to lead with you against the vision you're trying to set forth for the company. So awareness of what's going on, finding the signal from the noise, then finding the conviction of what you need to do and moving forward to inspire the team around you to do it. I'd love to talk a little bit about your career path. You started the company in college and had to make a decision to either stick around or go pursue this dream. I think it was called housing media, is that right? That's correct, yeah. How did you, at the time, this is before people were really doing this, how did you make that decision that you were like, I'm all in on being an entrepreneur? Very early on, I was a freshman in college when it was a time where you had to realize that you can't live in a dorm room forever. And at the end of the year, you have to move out and find a place to live. And this was very early on in the internet. It was brand new. People were using email and a little bit of the web. And we decided, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could use the internet to find a place to live? Taught ourselves how to code, created a website, helped people find uh, roommates, helped them find places to live. It took off inside of our inside of our college. It took off inside of our town uh, and actually turned into a business. And we didn't necessarily start it to be a business. We started it to see if we could help our friends find a place to live. This was like before Craigslist and everything else even existed. But we learned a ton through it. I mean, learned uh, everything you'd want to know about starting a business, learning how to code, trying to sell to people, trying to market the product, customer service issues, you name it. And it's just another steep learning curve. And it was fascinating. On one hand, I was, I'd be going to class and learning a lot of really interesting, important, but theoretical things. And then on the other hand, I'm going and doing this business and learning a lot of really practical, important things that you need to succeed in business. And once we sold the company, I did have a choice to go back uh, to college, but I decided to kind of keep going in the business space and learning more and uh, spent some time at Yahoo back in the early days uh, across that business. And then obviously ended up at LinkedIn a little bit over 12 years ago. So very fortunate. And did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Was this something that you were surrounded by th this idea that you should be finding a business to go launch or that's the, the right route for you? Yes. But you know, when one of the most common questions I get or I've found in this role is, is a question of, Ryan, what, what does it take to succeed? What does it take to become a CEO? And if I'm very transparent in looking back at that, for me, it's three things. And they're actually all the same thing. 
Number one, I think that I'm very lucky. I was very lucky to be born who I was at the time I was to the parents that I was born to. Uh, number two, I was lucky. Uh, I was lucky that I was born into an entrepreneurial family, a family that kind of pushed the idea that, hey, you want to leave school and start a company? That sounds great. And number three, I was very lucky that when I worked at Yahoo, I met someone named Jeff Weiner, who ended up becoming the CEO of, of LinkedIn and I'd worked with for, for nearly 20 years now. And I think that it's very important to just transparently look back and understand that a lot of times the key to success is luck. And sometimes conflating skill and luck is something that people do a lot. But I feel very fortunate to have had that path along the way to end up where I am today. Totally. Well, obviously, luck plays a huge role, but you also have to be the one knowing how you are guiding your career. When you joined Yahoo, I'm sure you had a choice about which products you want to work on or what areas you want to work on. And when you left Yahoo to go to Glam, to continue this work around content and ads, you made a conscious decision that is the area you want to take your career. Can you walk us through some of the thinking that you have as you are making these very large decisions that are going to have an impact on you economically? I think looking back, they were large decisions. I think you never know in the time that they're large decisions. And for me, I've always kind of had this true north of, I just want to wake up every day and be excited about what I'm going to do. And for me, often that's the intersection of working on a problem that I think is important that I care about and working with people that I like working with. And I've used that as my true north, no matter what I've done and where I go. And I found that as long as I'm focused on that, and I'm not focused on chasing a title or chasing a specific long-term goal versus just knowing that career paths aren't linear. <laughs> They're all over the place. And really finding what you're passionate about doing, finding what it is you can wake up and get excited about. Because when you find that place and that passion, you can go and do great things. You can build great products. You can reach a ton of people. You can uh, make big moves. You can end up building a company like LinkedIn, where we have 774 million members. And every hour, there's nearly 400 people who are getting a job from this platform. And if, you, if you're passionate about it in this space and with people you like working on it with, you can do amazing things like this. As the CEO of LinkedIn, you focus very much on this one LinkedIn idea, thinking about one common goal for the, for the company or how what you're doing fits in with what the company needs to get done. When you talk about this idea of following your passion, how do you make sure that people are passionate about this idea of the one goal or this one common approach versus this idea of, well, I'm going to do what I'm passionate about and it might not be what the company is passionate about? Ultimately, getting together the right group of people with the right passion, with the right motivation against the right product and the right goal in the Silicon Valley or anywhere in the technology space allows you to do massive and remarkable things. And for the most part, I've been fortunate that the companies that I've worked at, the products that I've worked on have really attracted a lot of people like that, like you looking to go and do really big and important things. The problem is, unless you're aligned against what that vision looks like, unless you're aligned against what it is to make that happen, unless you're putting yourselves in the shoes of your end members or your end customers. It's very difficult sometimes to pull together a group of motivated people who all have strong ambition and feel like they're doing the right thing to go and build what really matters against the goals of the company. I think we've seen over and over companies with really smart people pulling in many directions and not really fulfilling the vision of what the company can go out and, and do. But what I think we've seen at LinkedIn, especially over the past 
you know, five or six years is that when we really take a step back, when we put ourselves in the shoes of the members who look at LinkedIn as one LinkedIn, they see it as the, as the blue button on their phone. They don't understand what's happening inside of it. They just know they want to push that button and find access to opportunities. So it's incumbent upon us inside of the company to really pull together and, and build the best experience we possibly can uh, for them. And one unified goal and experience. And the thing is, when you do that, it's actually beneficial for everyone who's involved in it. When everyone understands the part that they play towards the whole, when everyone's pulling towards the same goal, it's really magical what can happen. And that's why we spend so much time at our company focused on our true north, our vision. We create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. That's what everyone inside of this company, inside of LinkedIn, is here to do. In order to make that happen, everyone plays a specific role. And that specific role is really important. There's not one role that's more important than the other. All the roles are important to make this happen. And when everyone understands that and is pulling in the same way, we see results like we saw today with a $10 billion revenue number growing north of 27% year over year. We were acquired by Microsoft five years ago, and we've nearly tripled revenue since that happened. And we're growing off a larger base and accelerating more than we were even back then. So it's just inertia. When you start to get that happening and people see that success, they just want to be more part of it. And that cohesion just comes naturally. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to shift our focus to an area you've been really championing in the last few months, you've been really much more public about this idea of skills first world, of what can happen, how things should work in an area where you're hiring for skills, where you are promoting for skills. Can you paint a picture of how you see that world working and why this is so important to you? Because of COVID, because of accelerated digital transformation, because of a fourth industrial revolution Roles are being created and displaced at an unheard of pace right now in the world. And by virtue of the platform that we build together, LinkedIn, we have access to understanding a lot of labor trends, where supply demand gaps exist in the world, where roles are being created, where they're being displaced. And we've never seen anything like the pace that it's moving right now. So when you have you know, these roles moving around, new roles being created, roles going away, it's moving at a much quicker pace than it ever has. 
the ways that we've historically tried to find and assess and connect talent opportunity, where you went to school, what your degree was, maybe who you know, where you worked previously, those ways are becoming uh, antiquated. And in order to keep up with the pace that the labor market's moving right now, we need more flexible, always on, always accessible ways for people to get the skills that they need for the opportunity that exists. So I believe that shift and that change is going to come from much more of a skill-based look at the talent market. So it's not only where you went to school or who you know or where you worked, but actually what is it that you know how to do and how good are you at doing that? And then what does the role require you to do? And if there's a gap, how do we help you understand those skills to help you find that opportunity? One of the things we saw in the pandemic was that food serving went away as basically a role in the world over the past year. But the average food server on LinkedIn had nearly 70% of the skills you need to be an entry-level customer service agent. Now, customer service agents, those are jobs in super high demand right now, especially with a lot of digital transformation. So how do we help someone understand that, hey, just by you know picking up a few more skills or learning these other tools, here's a path for you towards opportunity. You don't need to go back to college. You don't need to go do something different. There's not a big time period here, but how do we really help connect talent opportunity through that understanding of what someone knows? And this isn't an overnight shift. It's just a constantly how do we make the labor market more efficient by focusing on what people know. And the thing about it is every constituent in the broad ecosystem has a role in this and also shares the same desire. So if you're a school, if you're a government, if you're a company, if you're a, you know individual or a job seeker, you all want to figure out a way towards more broad and prosperity. Right now in the U.S., nearly 50% of college graduates are going to graduate this year, either unemployed or underemployed. For the first time in U.S. history, credit card debt is being outpaced by student loan debt. Like the system can be optimized. It, it can be fixed. So, for example, how do we help universities understand that the roles that exist in the world for your students, they need to be graduating with a certain set of skills. Often they're very practical skills. If you want to get a job right now as a digital marketer, you need to know how to use tools like Google Analytics, how to market on Instagram or, you know, learn how to make posts go viral on Facebook or, or TikTok. Very practical things that marketers need to know. And a lot of times students are graduating from some of these amazing colleges with great marketing degrees, but they don't have those practical skills that are needed right now for the jobs that exist. So we want to make sure we can try and help wherever we can just to create efficiency in this market with a little bit more of a focus on your skills, your abilities, what you need to know to do the job. Is this change happening from a demand side where workers are saying my skills need to be appreciated? Is it happening from the employer side? Or is it just in the earliest phases where you feel like you need to spark demand on both sides of the market? The pace of change right now is forcing us to, to we can't only rely on, you know, old ways of thinking about whether or not someone can do a job, but really honing in on what's necessary to do it, who can do it, finding talent everywhere to help do it at scale. You know, people are trying to hire at massive scale right now, things like customer service agents. And like, how do you help train a ton of people that don't have work right now to, to learn the skills you need to be good at entry-level customer service to find that opportunity? So it's, it's something that needs to be dealt with from a job seeker side, from a recruiter side, from a uh, school side, from a government side. I had lunch last week with the Spanish president, Pedro Sanchez, and he's trying to really drive technology to be mainstream inside of Spain? How do we get more technology companies built in Spain? How do we help more college graduates in Spain have the right skills to go into you know, software engineering jobs? And they're heavily relying on a lot of LinkedIn data to do that. We, we help them understand that right now in Spain, 
there actually are a ton of jobs that require knowledge of programming skills like Python or Java or JavaScript, which are going unfilled because there's not enough labor supply that knows those skills. So you want to get people into jobs in Spain right now in technology, help them quickly learn Python and Java and JavaScript. And so he has a really great idea where they're turning to more vocational programs that are just about these technology skills to help uh, fill that supply-demand gap. I think it's a really smart approach. We had Maurice Jones on this show in December. He's the CEO of the 110 uh, Coalition, which is a group trying to put a million black adults into jobs in four years. And one of the things he's really focused on is this question of how many jobs have four-year degree requirements. By 110's estimates, 61% of middle-skilled jobs needlessly require a four-year degree when, in fact, they should be skill-based jobs. And because 76% of black adults lack four-year degrees versus 63% of white adults, he says this is an equity issue. You can fix a large part of the workforce. You can fill these jobs and you can do good by moving to the skills-based approach. Do you think about this also in terms of improving diversity or equity in the professional world? Absolutely. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that you have the grit, you have the resilience, you have the aptitude, you have the skills like we just talked about. You're everything that a company wants. You're star talent. But you didn't go to the right school. You didn't grow up in a high-income neighborhood. You don't have the right connections that you made throughout your childhood. And the problem is right now, systemic barriers create these very unequal starting points. And this is coming upon all of us in society to really level the playing field. And this skills-based approach is really a great way to do it. It's less about who you know. It's less about where you went to school. It's really about what you can do, what you know, and how good you are at doing that. And I think that's a really important thing to take consideration is we try to build a much more equitable society and how a skills-based approach can play a big role there. So talk about what makes you so convinced that LinkedIn can pull all of this off. Obviously, you're the CEO. You have to believe this. I'm sure you believe it in your bones. Are there any few things that you look at and you say, like, this is what makes me so confident? Absolutely. So we're coming off uh, a strong growth year. We see that growth accelerating LinkedIn means we're helping more people learn skills and get jobs and make connections. And we're trying to do it at a much quicker pace than we have in the history of the company. So there's a pretty big audacious goal in front of us in terms of what we're trying to do. I have all the conviction in the world in our ability to do it for two main reasons. First is our approach and second is our team. So from an approach perspective, when you're able as a company right now to seamlessly intertwine doing good for the world with doing well in business, it's a massive competitive advantage. Companies that really focus just on doing well, think about doing good as a compromise. It's the last slide in their PowerPoint presentation, or it's the creation of a .org or a .org website. But when you can seamlessly have the product you build do both good for the world and help you do well in business, it's a very strong competitive advantage. When we build great products at LinkedIn, we help people get jobs and learn skills and start companies and make connections. And then that drives value back to the company. So I feel very strong. There are very strong vision with the approach that we're taking right now for the company that we're building. And then secondly is our team. You and I have been doing this for a long time together. We've been in the technology space for a long time. And in my mind, technology is really only in the third inning of the impact it's going to have on the world. 
We've seen uh, a cast of companies come through technology over the past couple of decades, all great, amazing people. But I've never, ever seen uh, a company come through like right now with LinkedIn with the authentic passion to help build a product that empowers human beings and doesn't just convenience consumers. I think the world is yearning uh, for a new type of technology company, a new type of technology leadership team. And I'm convinced that LinkedIn can help show the world the way of how you can do good and do well in the world in technology. You've been focused this year on creators and on making sure the creator experience is good on LinkedIn. I think when you hear people talk about creators often, it is a question of helping people create really entertaining content that is a fun pastime that goes viral. That feels different than the way you're describing where you are hoping LinkedIn goes. How do you square this idea of supporting creators and also making sure that this is a company that is serving the world well? The creator economy is a really important trend in the world right now. We hear and see it everywhere. And it's because it's very easy with a lot of the platforms that exist to quickly build an audience to help showcase your content, your talent, your skills, your abilities. I think it's a great thing. Frequently, people talk about the creator economy. They talk about it in terms of entertainment uh, or content. But I also think it's important to understand that it, it relates to goods and services as well. Two of my favorite companies that I would talk about in the creator uh, economy space are companies like Shopify or companies like Etsy that allow people to very quickly and easily leverage their talent in creation of goods and services to help them make a living easily through these platforms. And I actually think about LinkedIn much more in line with companies like that. Creation on LinkedIn isn't creation for creation's sake. It's not creation for entertainment. It's creation for opportunity and through community. It's the type of creation that occurs when an instructor creates a course that goes on LinkedIn learning and learners learn from it. It's the creation that occurs when a hire manager creates a job on the platform and helps hire someone into a new role. It's the creation that occurs when you update your new cover story on LinkedIn and someone finds you and offers you a job because of your creativity. It's creation for opportunity. And that actually draws uh, a lot of great, important conversations to LinkedIn. People talk about this, as you know, as a platform of generosity, a platform where people want to pay it forward with their knowledge uh, and their insight, things that they've learned, especially people who have you know, really struggled through their career and have finally made it and want to feel like they can pay it forward. So I think that we play a really important niche in the professional creator space. But again, it's really about creation, uh, ultimately towards helping people connect for opportunity. Ryan, I always like to end these interviews with a question about career advice. So you talked about the kind of advice you give to someone who wants to be a CEO. What if someone is, they're in college, they are just starting their first job, they don't really know what they want to do. What kind of advice do you give someone just to get started? I think something I've learned is that there is not a linear career path in the world, period. And I think the quicker you realize it, the better off you are. One of the reasons I know there's not is because early on at LinkedIn, we'd get a request frequently for people who'd say, you should build a career path project. Like, you know, so much about professionals. So if I want to become a, a CFO one day, like what is the path that everyone takes to get there? So you go and look at the data and it's like, oh, there's not a path. <laughs> there are like thousands of paths, it turns out, that people are taking to get to some of these roles. And the quicker that you realize that, I think the more you start to take your own career into your own hands, you uh, embrace a learning mindset, you try new things, you find your passion, you follow that passion. 
but you realize that there's not just this path that the world is taking you through and you're going to end up in a path like everyone else. And it's what I did early on by dropping out of college. And again, not to turn it back to you, it's what you did when you joined LinkedIn. I remember very clearly you were very successful in what I'll call the old school media world and decided to make a jump to be an editor at a social network. And people were like, what are you talking about? That sounds crazy, Dan. That's not how this works. And I think you took a leap and you charted a new path towards what you were passionate about, what you wanted to accomplish and look at what you built now, which is very impressive. So there's not one linear path. They're all different. But just embracing the learning mindset, all your passion is the key to all of this. That's great. So take leaps when you see them. And it sounds like you're a pretty big proponent of this idea of enjoy steep learning curves. Absolutely. Just to constantly find those learning experiences that was going to help you the next time you face them in your career. And that's the key to all of it. Every, everything is different. You're going to learn something new every day, but the next time you face it, you can build off of something that you learned and feel comfortable doing it, have that confidence, that conviction. Uh, I think that's the key to following your passions. That was LinkedIn CEO, Ryan Roslansky. To hear more from him, follow his profile on LinkedIn. Ryan spoke about non-linear career paths, and he wasn't just talking about his own, he was talking about those of C-suite executives, which got me wondering about everyone's non-linear career journey. So if you are someone who is taking advantage of this great reshuffle and are thinking about making a career leap, or maybe you did make a career leap, talk to me about it. Tell me what you're experiencing. How are you thinking about moving through your career? You can let me know over on LinkedIn using the hashtag, this is working. As always, to get more news and insights on our changing world, please follow our main LinkedIn page, which you can find by searching for LinkedIn News. Uh, I feel like I was lucky to have a very steep learning curve. Please share this podcast episode with a friend who absolutely loves a steep learning curve. This is Working is a production of LinkedIn. The podcast was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Taisha Henry and Michaela Greer. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original video and audio. Dave Pond is our technical director. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.